Dracula. I am Dracula. And I bid you welcome, Mr. Hart, to my heart. Come here. Our first award goes to the vampire for most blood drained in a single evening. The strength of the vampire is that people will not believe in him. Good evening, my fellow vampire lovers. The sun is going down, and you know what that means. It's time for me to record my newest episode of my podcast, The Beautiful Dead. As always, I'm your host, Alina Nazari. You can reach me on all the things. I'm on all social media platforms. You can find me at linanazari.com, or you can email me. That's lena at linanazari.com. Now, you guys are used to hearing me start talking about whatever content I'd be talking about this evening. But this evening's a little bit different. This is a special episode. We are opening season two of The Beautiful Dead, talking about the year 2021, which I'm deeming the year of the vampire. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. So you guys are used to hearing my guests at the end of the show, but this is going to be a special episode, like I said. So my guests are actually already here with me. They're going to be actively involved in this episode as we talk, so you'll hear them. So we're going to open this up, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to introduce my guests. So would you guys like to go ahead and introduce yourselves? First, I didn't know we were on the season opener, so now I feel like I have to up my game. This has to be pizzazz than anything ever before. You You got to pound it all in the first and the season opener. We are we are thrilled to be here with you, Lena. Thank you for the invite uh, to come here to talk, to talk about the love of all things, vampire, creepy, and otherwise. Um, I know both of us, my husband Logan and I have been fans. We've immersed ourselves in all things, I want to say legit vampire culture, and we'll say those are the Anne Rice years, all the way through um, trashy remakes and and um b-level movies uh and the current popular series that are on tv yeah so we do have a, a a wide range of uh knowledge and and love for the genre and that is why you guys are my guests for this special opener to season two so let's go ahead and introduce you that was jeremy who was just speaking His husband, Logan, is right next to him. So I think I just want to ask, first and foremost, so did you guys go into the relationship both already loving vampires, or did one introduce the other and get the other excited about vampires? I want to say, this is Jeremy, I want to say that I started, and if I can be honest, I didn't catch the vampire um, love, the obsession, until... Twilight. And I hate to admit that, but I was teaching a seventh grade English class at the time. And that was when the book series came out. Um, and up until that point, I, I had read Interview with the Vampire. Um, I had always been drawn to Dracula. I thought that story was creepy and seductive and wonderful. And I'd seen the ballet, but I didn't think 
I would become a vampire fan. I, I didn't think I could get into a book series. I didn't think I could get into um, seeing them as people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things that vampire fiction has done um, today is that it's taken what was once a monster, but then kind of humanized. Um, and I see it as an allegory for the larger things in life. There's so many people in our community that we um, villainize, but they're all people. And so it, for me, it's fascinating to see the vampires interacting with family members in a typical way, vampires having the the love affairs and, and, the, and the fights and the, and the, the things that are true to the human experience, to see that in the monster world, the vampire world, um, I think I really appreciate that because I, I do directly correlate that to what I, I see happening in the world and the people that I tend to villainize. And, and I need to know that those are people with the same wants and desires and stories uh, that I have. Mm -hmm. So with Twilight, I, I got into it. I read that series. Um, and I think my husband also read or watched. Well, I was going to say, to answer your question from my perspective, so I've always been into the supernatural, um, supernatural TV shows, Marvel, DC, Charmed, all those things that I used to watch when I was growing up, but um, I didn't get into specific vampires until I met Jeremy and, provide, and opened me up to Vampire Diaries series, um, specific things like that, but I did watch Twilight and loved the series and loved reading, so... Um, definitely a, a proponent of vampires, as it would say. Okay. And it's funny, Jeremy, you tapped on something that we're going to talk about a little later, but it is how you can use something like vampirism um, to very thinly veil some of the issues that we see in society mm -hmm. and replace A, B, and C with vampires. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think I particularly saw that in Bite Shift, like when they're ostracizing one from another, or they had different viewpoints or, or some were super mm -hmm. conservative and following the letter of the law while others were more progressive. And sure. you're able to talk about current events through the framework of the vampires. Right. And it's, it's so fascinating to me to read that and to see that and to use that then as a vehicle to talk about larger things. Right, right. I think that's misconception with vampire fiction is that it, it's trashy it's not real literature it's not um it's dirty it's mm -hmm. it's vulgar it's sinful but it's not it's the same thing as cinderella it's characters telling a story and, and there's a lesson to learn yeah and i appreciate you bringing that up because for me writing bite shift um i love vampires i've always loved vampires but to me that story and when we were designing the cover, to me, it is a story of what people do to make it work. No matter what gets thrown in your way, uh, uh -huh. women, especially like single mothers, especially like, okay, now I have this barrier, but I still have to get my kids to school and I still have to go to work. And how can I make this work? And how can I, and I think that and, we do that all the time. And can I just say, that is what I loved about Bite Shift, about your story, is that you took a woman who had to make all of those sacrifices and had to face all of those challenges. I feel like a lot of vampire fiction today is geared young and it's geared right into the high school. So it's hard to find a vampire story where there already is a mother with two kids and an ex-husband and, and dealing with a job because, you know, it's super cute. Bella, oh, she became a vampire. Now what? She can't go to cheer practice. But like 
in the real world, I loved how your story had to come up with all the answers for dealing with, you know, child visitation and a job that you already had and the children that you had. Mm-hmm. And that to me was interesting to see adults yeah. going through. Cause I feel like, and I, you know, more than I do, I feel like most of the stories about transformation deal with young people. You yeah. don't see a lot, like the, the older vampires are already adults. You don't see a lot of people mm-hmm. struggling, at least certainly with the, the popular series now, adults mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. like you said, have to make it work. Yeah. And I think that's, like I said, a correlation to the real world who isn't handed situations where it's not ideal or it might be your worst nightmare, but you got to make it work. Yeah. You have a family, you got to do what you got to do. Yep. And so that's particularly what I liked about night shift was the characters then figuring out yeah this is this is my life now and and I've got to I got to I got to get through this yeah and that was one of the things I was I was watching true blood when the inspiration hit me and I I thought to myself it's either a, a 400 year old vampire who like bought stock in apple day 1 and has gazillion dollars and doesn't have to work or it's an 18 year old who can mm-hmm. live in a cave for 5 years and right. nobody's going to notice but yes. if you're 40 and you have to pay your mortgage next month now what with two kids with two kids who are expecting yeah. you and yeah. i thought that was i thought the whole thing was genius how you wrote that in like because every time I would think of a new roadblock, your character would address it. Because as she transforms, I realized, oh, well, you know, how is she going to address this daylight thing? How is she going to address the aging thing? And how is she going to address, I'm not going to give everything away in the book, but there, there are answers for that character that she's found a way to make her life work. She, she thrives with one challenge after another yeah. presented to her in this new life. And yeah. again, take out vampirism but we're all going to go through life and we're going to have something happen to us where we're going to be forced to live a new life things the 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 normalcy that the what we're used to is going to be taken yeah and we're going to have to figure out what is our new normal yeah so this is a good segue actually now i don't know if logan knows this but jeremy i know you know this um for anybody who's listening right now who's going to read the sequel code blood Jeremy and Logan are in the sequel. So there are characters in the sequel that are based on Jeremy and Logan, um, physically the same. Uh, I just had to beef up your jobs a little bit to make it a so little So these are going to be super, super sexy characters with right. really cool jobs. Right. So I'm like, not going to give anything away. sexy. Almost, almost too much. Almost too much. Yes. I believe when yeah. Kate meets jeremy she says to herself i feel like i'm not sexy enough to be a vampire so that's a little teaser for you but um you and guys- i'm done I, I can speak no more so um <gasps> so jeremy you're gonna get to read it first because you've so graciously yes. offered to help me edit which is wonderful because it's very hard to edit your own writing um so you guys will get to read it and give me feedback but for all the fans out there listening when you get code blood you're going to get to meet jeremy and logan the vampire version <laughs> i am so excited lena when you told me that i you are you're making a dream come true for me in a way that immersing myself in vampire culture i get so deep into it that i forget that it's not real that i that i'm not going to transform because i had the fear that like 
these people need to consider it off the pot and transform me. I don't want to be an yeah. old vampire. Yes. So I'm like sitting around my house in the evenings, like waiting for it. Right. I'm like, come on. And then I forget that it's not real. So the I fact know. that you will have me immortalized as a vampire is like the second best answer to a dream that I've had. Good. I'm glad. Good. I'm glad. So let's get into our, our 2021, the year of the vampire. And then we're going to look ahead to 2022. So I'm going to start this out by reading just a snippet here of an article I found for E! News that says American Horror Story and Midnight Mass prove vampires are making a comeback. It starts by saying vampires were just about everywhere in the mid 2000s. We have the Twilight franchise, as Jeremy just said, True Blood and the Vampire Diaries were on television and teens were devouring the Vampire Academy book series. However, at a certain point, Hollywood's obsession with vampires began to wane. Even uh, the Vampire Diaries spinoff, the originals, ended its run in 2018. And just when we thought true crime documentaries would be the obsession of now, American Horror Story and Midnight Mass have proven that blood-sucking characters have a place in TV and vampires are making a comeback. So I was pretty excited to read that. Yeah, so let's look at a little bit. So 2021, Netflix alone had Night Teeth which just came out. Midnight Mass, have you guys seen that one yet? Uh-uh. Highly recommend you take a day, turn your phone off, watch it. It is beautiful. It's the same people that did The Haunting of Hill House and Blythe Manor. Oh, okay. Amazing, amazing. It also when we had- get done here, yeah, we'll check it out. Midnight, Midnight Mass? Midnight Mass. Um, There was also Red Sky, which is a vampire film produced by Netflix. And then the French show Vampires will have its second season coming out any minute now. Uh, AHS season 10, the first half of the season was Red Tide, also Vampires. The fourth season of What We Do in the Shadows is going to be released next year, which is crazy. Have you watched the TV version of What We Do in the Shadows? No. It is hysterical. fans, though. We do love horror story. Yeah. Yep. This season was uh, the first half was vampires. Um, and then we have a few more Netflix releases coming out in 2022 that will be vampire related. So for an example, we have something called first kill. And that is when it's time for a teenage vampire Juliet to make her first kill so she can take her place among a powerful vampire family. She sets her sights on a new girl in town named Calliope. Much to Juliet's surprise, however, Calliope is a vampire hunter from a family of celebrated slayers, and they both find the other won't be so easy to kill, and unfortunately, way too easy to fall for. So that's a show coming out in uh, 2022. I, uh, I, I made the mistake of looking at vampire books released in 2021. Huge list. Massive list. In so, young adult or all acro- across all, all a lot of young adult stuff all across, all across. Um, so I just noted a couple I really wanted to talk about, especially with you because of your love of English. So we know Midnight Sun came out. That was last year in 2020. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, was Twilight from the perspective of Edward at this point in time. We also got in 2020 Crave, which was a huge young adult uh, hit. And then its sequel came out, um, and now everyone's waiting for the third. Oh, I'm sorry, the third Covet came out this year, and then there's two more sets. <clears throat> of 
We also had the Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying, which won a ton of awards in 2020 and was on the New York Times 2020 summer reading list. And it's currently number one in vampire horror. And that is adult. And then this, have you guys read Dracul yet? That came out in 2018. I wanted to. What was the book right before that that you that said that was number one? The Southern Book Club's Guide to Vampire Slaying. Okay, we're writing that down. So. Okay. And then Dracul, I'm reading right now. And that was actually yeah. written by Bram Stoker's grandson. And it is. Oh, I did. Yes. Yes. It is the prequel to Dracula. It is, I'm reading it right now. It, very, very interesting. I'm really enjoying it. And then I found. Do you like it as a prequel? Um, I don't know. I need to see the big reveal and how it's all going to tie together at the end. But right. as a story, okay. I like it. I like anything that's old timey and set in that, that time it's set in Ireland. Um, I love all that stuff. So I'm me too, but I get concerned with any new text attached to a famous piece of writing because I don't want it to shift what I know from a piece that I love. Yeah, I agree. So from what I understand, this book ends with, um, it is from the perspective of Bram Stoker and something he went through as a child that led him to then write Dracula. So they're not trying to tell a behind the scenes story of Dracula itself. They are um, trying to explain why Bram Stoker would go on to write Dracula. So it's very interesting. Got it. And then I found something. Now you are very well versed in books. So you might already know this, but did you know that George R.R. R. Martin, the author of Game of Thrones, wrote a vampire novel? No, but I don't like the Game of Thrones. That's okay. You're allowed to. I just thought that was interesting that before he tapped into fantasy, he he, he tried his hand at vampire and that's called Fever Dream. That was written in 2004. Logan loves Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going through the process of rewatching it because I feel like you have to watch something at least three times to truly get all the aspects. Yep, it's funny you say that because I'm watching um, True Blood for the third time right now. Um, Okay, so let's look ahead. So I'm ready to hear your reactions to all of this. So here is what's coming in 2022 for us vampire lovers. Are you guys ready? All right, January of 2022, Morbius, which is a Marvel, that's a Marvel movie. And that's Michael Morbius who tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but inadvertently infects himself with a form of vampirism. And that is played by Jared Leto. The trailer is out. And the trailer has People Are Strange playing underneath it from Lost Boys. So I had chills. So it's like a vampire anti-hero with Marvel money. So I can only imagine. That's going to be great. That is going to be great. That comes out in January? January. So we'll have to go see Scream and then we'll have to I go was going to say, movies. don't forget our movie date. Yeah, yeah. Do not forget. Oh, I won't. Also coming in 2022 from Marvel Studios, they are redoing Blade. So that will be very fun. So Blade is Why coming back. Why are they redoing back. it? Uh, probably to hold on to the rights, I would assume. But uh, Wesley Snipes will now be replaced by Mahershala Ali. Uh, Oscar winner I'm sorry Mm -hmm. either Oscar nominee or Oscar winner and they already started filming so I'll be excited to watch that come out okay I can't believe it's been 20 years since Blade can you guys I can't either 
20 years. Yeah. Uh Okay. So let's get into some other things. Expected in September of 2022, a remake of Salem's Lot. So now Uh we have, I know. So we got it, which they did a great job with. Yeah. Um, the pet cemetery was not bad. So I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Salem's lot because nobody has done it justice yet. No. And that's one of his best. I just reread it. I just, my, one of my last, I need to reread it. We have so many friends who that is their favorite. Oh, Jeremy to go back and reread it as an adult and not as a, you know, a teenager. It's a whole different book now. I'm going to add that to my list. Very good. Um, there is some gossip. So this was announced in 2018. It doesn't seem like much has happened since, um, Joss Whedon was supposed to be in charge of this whole thing. However, because of recent allegations and the pandemic, it could just be, have slowed down. It, it, there, it could not happen at all right now. They're still saying it's going to happen, but that is the reboot of Buffy, the vampire slayer. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Did you watch that? I only watched a few episodes. I didn't watch the whole thing. Yeah, big reboot. Um, Another thing coming, they are going to reboot Van Helsing. So back when they did, remember the mummy with uh, uh, Tom Cruise? Then they did Invisible Man. So Universal wants to reboot their whole Universal Monster series. So they did the mummy. They did Invisible Man. They are rebooting Dracula. That is happening. Uh, They also want to reboot the Wolfman, uh, of course, but that is in production right now. Um, Chloe Zhuao Zhuao is directing and it is being touted as a Western sci-fi take on Dracula. I don't know how I feel about that. (sighs) I I want my Draculas to be classic. Gary Oldman. Yes. Like... the whole like Western sci-fi, obviously I'll be there in the front row, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think you can go and then tell me. I don't know. Um, but along with that, they're going to do a Van Helsing reboot. Uh, right now, Julius Avery is on tap to direct. And that is the guy who did Overlord. Did you see Overlord? It was World War II zombies. Um, I don't know if I did or not. I mean, it sounds familiar and I usually see anything that deals with that stuff. So yeah. And then the guy writing the script is Eric Pearson, who did a bunch of Marvel movies. So we'll see. So Van Helsing might turn out awesome. Dracula. I don't know, but Hey, I'm open. But at the same time, Blumhouse is also redoing a Dracula. Right now, it's called the Untitled Dracula Project. Uh, Karen Kusama is is on tap to direct. So I don't know which one will come out first, but it looks like there's two different studios working on a Dracula reboot. So obviously, vampires are back. And then, Jeremy, you and I already texted about this, but they're doing a Renfield movie. That's more about Renfield than Dracula. That will be Nicholas Holt, who's going to play the titular character. And then Nicholas Cage is Dracula. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a great story. That'll be another one of those from the different perspectives and, and really getting into that character and to see where that um, adoration or, I guess, um, uh, unmitigated following of, of Dracula comes from. I want to ask you, as a current writer and producer, what do you feel about 
the reboots. On the one hand, I can see that it's producing, it's generating excitement about your genre. Right. So I like that. On the other hand, are you also thinking, I'm over here producing great work and we're rebooting shit that we've already seen? Jeremy, this is why I love you because you understand what's happening in my head. Yeah, it's a mix. It's like, I want vampires introduced to a new generation. I want them back. Mm -hmm. I want Hollywood putting money into vampires again. But at the same time, here I am writing something totally unique as far as I know. Um, and they they just keep rehashing the same stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough, but I think anything that brings vampires into the forefront and makes us all thirsty for more is good because okay. it will have right. people out there looking for more material. Um, but yeah, I mean, so now it's funny we're talking about Dracula and interesting perspectives because here's one I'm actually excited about. The only reason I know about this one is I was listening to a podcast uh, called Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, and he was interviewing David Dastmulchen, and he said, yeah, I'm currently out here. I'm filming a movie, and he said the name of the movie is The Last Voyage of the Demeter, and I knew exactly what it was going to be about because I've read Dracula so many times. So you know the chapter that's literally just they loaded crates of dirt onto a ship and then the ship showed up in London and it was empty. That's really all they talk about. This whole movie is about that voyage and these um, sailors one by one getting picked off by Dracula and having to fight. So I'm excited for that one. To see how that went down. Yeah. The whole movie is the trip, the voyage. The whole movie is the voyage of that ship from Transylvania to London because all we ever see in the film, all we ever read in the book is it showed up empty. Everybody's gone. Uh-huh. We don't know what happened. So I think that'll be really cool. Now we're going to find out. Now we're going to find we're gonna out. Know. Now we're going to know. So that will be coming out. I'm very excited about that one. Now, there has been speculation for the last year that because of its release on Netflix and how it's been reinvigorated, it's brought old fans back. It's brought new ones in. There is discussion, although I didn't find too much on it, that there will be a season nine of the Vampire Diaries. Right. So the only thing I found for sure is that Nina Dobrev and Ian Summerhalder won't come back. But that doesn't mean oh, that they won't. Forget it. <laughs> it doesn't. We're done. Mean, it doesn't mean they won't bring it back. Um, but I thought that was very interesting. I'm going to keep doing some digging as I find out, you guys will find out, obviously. This Why one did is, Ian want to do it? I, maybe he's just moved on. I don't know. I don't know. You should call him, call him and tell him to do it. Uh, this one is happening for sure. They are currently filming. I am so excited for this. First, it was rumored to be a mini series with Hulu and that they had gotten the book rights but in fact it was amc who snatched it up amc is doing an eight-part adaptation of the vampire chronicles by ann rice oh yeah perfect timing perfect timing so this is a good time to talk about this sadly we just lost ann rice when you guys hear this episode it'll be about a month later but we just lost ann rice it was sad i don't think any of us were ever ready for that And it's a shame that she won't ever get to see this come to life, 
but mm -hmm. it's currently filming in um, New Orleans. It'll be released in 2022. Um, Anne was on to be an executive producer, but her son is as well. And you can go online and see the cast. Uh, Lestat will be Sam Reed. Louie will be played by Jacob Anderson. And then Bailey Bass will take the role of Claudia. So I'm excited to see that come out. What do you think her feelings would have been? I mean, she was obviously an active part in everything, it sounds like. So um, I can't imagine that she didn't have a lot of say in what was happening. Now, did you guys hear that the her son said they're going to have like a big public party in New Orleans to celebrate her life that fans are invited to? So, I, I think that's speaking directly to me. Right. Well, so as soon as we as soon as we get information on that, we may have to book a hotel and figure out. Well, how to so do. I just read an article that she was not happy with Interview with the Vampire. You know what? I had heard that too all these years. As we know, that came out in 94. That was a while ago. Um, I know I had some issues with the movie itself, but when it came out, I was 15. So I was just in love with it in general. But now looking back, I, I see all the flaws in it. I'm, I just got done rereading the book again. Uh -huh. So I'll be interested to see what they do with it. Um, I will obviously be talking about it as it's being aired, but I wish that she could have seen it. I wish she could have been more involved. I wish she could have seen it. So it's sad that she won't, but I'm so excited well, that a new generation is going to be introduced to her. Well, I have a follow-up then about you as a writer, mm -hmm. hoping to go into, um, branch into movies and turning your books into the screen. Mm -hmm. what involvement will they allow you to have or what is expected? That's all part of your negotiations. Okay. So let's say knock, knock, knock. Netflix says, Lena, we want to turn your book into a movie. You've got something here. That's when the negotiations start. So I can say, well, I want to be involved in writing the adaptation or they say, we want to write the adaptation. We just want to sell. We just want you to sell the rights. So that's all part of negotiation. I think what I would say is uh, you have to let me audition for Kate at the very yeah. least. Um, and I want some kind of say in, in the adaptation of it. But I would also like to see, and this is so important, I think, and Stephen King is really, really good about this. Stephen King said, once I send this out into the world, it no longer belongs to me. It belongs to my fans. So I want to see what people do with it. I want to see their adaptations, their interpretations. So oh, okay. I'm not so in love with my own writing that I wouldn't want someone okay. to write their own adaptation, but I would want to be a part of it in some way. And as you guys know, and I, I've, I've not lied about this at all, Kate is me. So Kate is based uh -huh. on me, her feelings, her reactions to things, her, uh, self-confidence issues, everything. It's me. So it would be hard to watch someone else play that. So I don't think I'd be somebody who said, I will only sell you the rights if I get to play Kate, because I'm not an idiot. I want it to sell. And I have to trust casting directors and I have to trust divisions. Yeah. I would at least want to audition for it. My God, at least give me a chance. I think you have a really healthy outlook to say that it belongs to your fans. And you want what they do with it. Yeah. And that's the hardest part about being a writer is once I said, yes, you can publish, it is not mine anymore. And that is such a vulnerable position to be mm -hmm. in because now I have said you, Logan, and you, Jeremy, and, and you, Susie, and whoever reads it, you're allowed to say whatever you want about this book. You can get on and say it's garbage. You're using it to even your dining room table out. You can say whatever you want. 
And I have no right to that anymore. That is your opinion. It's really vulnerable, especially when they're kind of your own fantasies, you know? Um, but I've had nothing but love from people. So I'm very lucky. You're very talented. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. This is why I had you on here just to talk about. <laughs> um, so before I move on to the next thing, Logan, I feel like you haven't gotten to say anything. What do you want to jump in and say? Um, listen, I am a, I am a wallflower. I am always engaged in conversation, but very much a listener versus a speaker when it comes to things like this. So well, it's a radio show, so get involved. <laughs> I love it. You guys didn't see it, but Logan just rolled his eyes. Jeremy, you didn't either because he's behind you. So, all right, are you guys ready? This is the one I'm most excited about. Yes. Okay. Confirming our exclusive report from December, HBO boss Casey Bloys says a true blood reboot is in development. The premium cabler says he stresses the project is still in its infancy. There's no green light imminent on that. But I would say as far as it goes, we definitely have a writer working on ideas for it. I think it's fair to say it's not quite as far along as people think. It's not coming in the next year. It's a long way from that. But they are indeed eyeing a return trip to Bonton. <clears throat> I am is... so freaking excited. If they don't cast me. I will show up at HBO, chain myself to the office wall. <laughs> We're going to have to at least watch the last season to get ourselves back in the mindset of what this was. Oh. Is Jason Stackhouse doing enough ab exercises right now to prepare himself right. Right. for so the many, many shirtless scenes that we, the, the fans, demand? I know. Well, Alex Skarsgård, too. So you know, I think, I think they're our age. So I know we have talked about this before of like, when you're 25 or you're 30 and you need to get a six pack uh -huh. easier, you know, I uh -huh. used to just like not eat a carb for a couple of days and I was good. I was ready to go. Yep. Not so easy anymore. So yeah, I think you, they would need some prep time, but I, anyone can be cute and ripped in their twenties. Show me a six pack on a 45 year old guy and you're good to go. I'll tell you what. Alexander Skarsgård. If you want to know what I want for Christmas, that's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> well, you can get him in the same aisle with Jason Stackhouse and we'll oh, both be happy. my God. So that is 2022. Well, that's awesome. What we have to look forward would, to. As would it be the same team? Would the same team jump into Reboot True Blood? I mean, if they're smart as actors, they'll wait and see the script and hear the ideas of what's going to be happening and what are they going to do with it? Because I'm sure it's like when you win the Super Bowl and you retire and then they want you to come back. You're like, well, who am I going to be playing yeah. with? And yeah, so you you kind of want to end on top. But uh, I think if they're smart as as actors, they'll 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 find out what's going to be happening first. I would say. I was going to say because what is even the process? Who gets on board first? Obviously, the producers get it going the writers and then they reach out probably last to the talent right because they have to have the scripts ready so you know what's interesting i actually learned this i'm i'm fortunate enough and this is where i'm going to take a moment to, to sort of um pat myself on the back and I'm, I'm friends with a lot of actors and so i've learned some very interesting things which is for example um let's say we want to turn bite shift into a, a, a movie right okay so mm -hmm. you and i can just go get a camera and, and start casting our friends and go out and film it but i don't know how well it's going to do right 
Now, if I get, let's say uh, Tom Cruise says, hey, I loved your book, I'll sign on. He's worth X amount of points when they sit down and figure out budgets. So if I can get Tom oh. Cruise to sign on, then the studio will give me more money in my budget and therefore Ooh. I get a better movie. So oh, I didn't know how funny, that's it's a delicate balance. So, so universal, let's say universal buys my book, right? They say, we, we're going to turn your book into a movie right now. We only have, we only have $500,000 in the budget, but I'm like, well, I happen to know Brad Pitt. So I'm going to call him and he says, yeah, he's going to do it. Now, suddenly I get $50 million in the budget just because Brad Pitt is attached. So it's funny how that works. And then the more That's budget awesome. you get, the more likely actors are going to sign on because now yeah. it's a better product. So it's funny how that back and forth works. Like a balancing act. Right. To get so everyone now, on board at the same time. Right. So there's so and, many cooks in the kitchens. It's, by the time you're filming. And feel free to drop my name as well. Oh, yeah. Drop my name as well, just to kind of yeah. really shoot this through the stars. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how that works. So I have an important question for you guys, two important questions. And Logan, I, know I will do, I, I will do, I will do nude scenes. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. Um, and I don't know what the second question is going to be. Okay. Well, you didn't pass my test at all because here are my questions for you. Front and back. I'll do nude scenes front and back. Oh, oh okay. Great. Perfect. Hold on. Okay, Let's write this down. Take notes. Um, and for those of you listening, you don't know Jeremy, but I have seen Jeremy in his best ab days and good Lord. So yes, I will sign you on. Um, those ab days were pre COVID and, and pre turning 40. Yeah. I think remember that conversation like a minute ago. Yeah. For all of us. Right. I, I look great. If you squint your eyes and it's like hazy outside. Yeah. It's funny how, when you need to prep for something, you know, when you're 30, you're like, give me six weeks. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. I'm 41. I'm like, give me six months. Yeah. <laughs> six months. Well, I, what I found is that I need a show that involves like shirtless scenes because nothing will motivate you like public nudity. Like when I know I'm going on stage in front of however many people that are going to see me, that's like a gym three times a day thing, crunching, diet, everything. I know. So I, I clearly need to do some more summer based shows. You know, the shame of it is, is I'm, I'm going to have my doctorate in nursing. I'm very well versed in human anatomy. I understand what abdominal fat, how dangerous it is for me. I understand that when I turned 40, now my age is a risk factor. Mm -hmm. None of that motivates me. No, if Oreos somebody, are delicious. If somebody said, Hey, we're going to put you in a movie in six weeks. Vanity, vanity will do it. Vanity does it. Vanity yeah. does it. Otherwise we're doing Kraft macaroni and cheese. So Jeremy, you already answered this question. Um, Logan, if you could be turned, would you do it? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah? No I question. What evening do you think about it? You're like, let's do that. No, no. Definitely do it. Got it. I love it. Now, if you could have been turned, at what age do you think you would have want to become a vampire? Or is it right now? 25. I was just about to say probably my early to mid 20s. Mm -hmm. um, although I do think, you know, I'm a little smarter than I was at my in my 20s. Um, because I do think, you know, it comes with life experience, right? Um, so I think life experience is a big part of it. I think education is 
important, but you can only get so much out of life when it comes to education. I always tell people, you can learn all you want in books, but doing it in real life is always important. So I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I guess I would get smart by doing things when I was 25 as a vampire, but because you have I eternity, would, because you have eternity to work on it. Correct. I would have eternity to work on it. So I would still say my early, early to mid twenties. Okay. Okay. I have to go with 35 at 35. I was competing in fitness competitions in the best shape right. of my life. I had some financial stability, you know, like you said, I had some wisdom behind me. And I think at 35, you can, I think when you're 25, people notice in a couple years, if you're not aging, but when you're 35, oh. you can pull that off a little bit longer. You're like, yeah, I'm 45. Wow. I know I look 35, but you can't say you're 45 and look 25. It's not going to happen. It's not going to fly. Yeah, you can. It happens to me every day. I will say when I was in my, I think it wasn't probably until I hit 30 that people finally realized that I was not 12 because I used to have a very big, I used to have a baby face Okay. for a long time. And then all of a sudden it was around my late twenties, early thirties that all of a sudden I started to not have the baby face yeah. in me. So to your point, I think if I had done early 20, if I would have, if I stick true to what I said, early 20s, late mid 20s, I probably would look like a high schooler or a college person my entire life. Then that's the thing I thought about with Edward and Twilight. Like if I have to go to high school for a hundred years, I'm going to step into the sun and just die. I don't, <laughs> there is no freaking way. Yeah, no, no way. You, you want to be beyond the school years. Yeah. At least college. I mean, yeah. yeah. So the vampires who are listening, I'll have my doctorate in May of 2022. So once I'm officially a doctor, I'm ready to be a vampire because then I get to be a doctor yeah. forever. Let's do yeah. that. All right. And it has a, a very strong convenient factor for those who need to become vampires, as we saw in your book. Having people working in the medical field is very, very smart. So that was one of the things I was thinking about watching True Blood. I was thinking, what if I got turned into a vampire? Because in that world, vampires are out, right? So that's great. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about when you were talking about this. True Blood did such a good job of dealing with race issues, homophobia issues, poverty issues. But they slap vampire on it every time. I thought that we was even, so... it, the show wasn't even about vampires. No, it really wasn't about vampires. No, it was, it was about, about prejudice. Small, small town mentality, prejudice against people that they can control, prejudice. eradicate, label. Mm-hmm. I that, remember the scene true. when they announced that vampire human marriage was legal. And that the waitress Arlene was like, I don't think that's right. I think marriage should only be between a human and a human. And I was like, I know exactly what they're doing right now. We're going play by play. Hiding it. They're not even hiding it. I thought that was awesome. That was so good. But one of the things I'm watching the show and I'm thinking, well, here's the thing. I'm a nurse, so I could be on straight nights. That wouldn't raise any eyebrows. I have five doctors right now that would fake a diagnosis for me if I needed to, you know, so that's the upside Um, of being in that medical community. Downside is that we are way more aware of like tiny changes in human beings. So that's one thing you have to work around is people are going to notice if you suddenly look 10 years younger and you're not scarred. Um, People are going to notice, you know what I mean? So I wondered about that Yeah, in your book, because there's, that's part of the challenge when she comes back, Kate comes back transformed Mm -hmm. and you're being told like, you have to 
tone it down. Tone it like down. They, they, mm-hmm. they would tell. And I didn't realize it was going to be that would have been that significant of a yeah. glow up. I figure if you um, slap enough foundation on, it just looks like poorly put on matted makeup, right? So it will cover mm-hmm. up the fact that you're suddenly flawless and you, um, you know, a little rouge will cover up the fact that you don't have that pink to your skin that we all have just from blood, yeah. flow, you know? And so I was thinking like, how can I do this? How can I have her look more beautiful, but not stand out to a group of people mm-hmm. that are trained to study human bodies every day, all day and catch mi- these minuscule changes. So that was one of the things I had to work through. So this first book, it was such a long time because the fantasy, I mean, I've, dr- I've dreamed about vampire sex for long enough that I could write that like that. It was the, oh, yeah, you could. Yeah. It was I like, had the- put it, I had to put it down. I was reading at work. I was Ooh. like, whoo. It's the weaving in and out. I wanted it to feel as real as possible. Um, So it was the weaving in and out the, how does she work through this thing? How does she work through this thing? That was more the more of the work there. But, um, but yeah, that was one of the things I thought about. So second question for you guys, what is it about vampires? And Jeremy, you said it a little bit. It was like a seductive world, but beyond that, what do you think it is about vampires that, that people like you and me and Logan and everybody loves so much? I'll go. I think it's because it's so I've talked about this with horror movies. We love safe danger. We love, we go to a horror movie because we know we're safe, but we get to experience that danger. And it's the adrenaline rush of being scared, but knowing you're safe. And I feel of all, you know, the, the mythological creatures and monsters and the, and the animals and the, and the predators that exist in the paranormal world, vampires to me have always seemed classy and reserved and the most compatible if you play your cards right with a human Mm -hmm. so I think there's the line of that danger that adrenaline rush that you would get to be around a vampire without putting yourself in a a position where you knew you were going to die I think you play your cards right with a vampire it could be a very rewarding experience I think that's the fun of that genre of literature with vampires you don't know. And just like any other um, group of humans, they're on a spectrum of, of you know, anger and, and um, maturity. And just like an interaction with a human could be good or bad. Um, an interaction with a vampire could be good or bad. But I, I loved, I loved in your story, and I'm not gonna say anything, but like giving away um, I loved how there were vampires who you saw shift in their character, one who might have been described as, as brutal and, and harsh um, because of an interaction he had with another character, a certain character in the book, becomes softer, you see the other side. Mm-hmm. So for me, I love, I'm drawn to, it is seductive. It's like a game. It's, it's a very primal human game between two people um, and it's not just sexual, but two people that are getting to know one another, mm-hmm. drawing each other in, revealing it at key times, parts that might be too much. But do you go forward? Do you, right. do you back up? No, you go forward. So that kind of give and take cat and mouse with the whole danger, mm-hmm. I think is so hot. I love that. <laughs> what about well, you? I think it's interesting because a lot of you know, in the vampire perspective, they have all the time in the world, right? And so 
to establish relationships is sort of like every time you have to go to the grocery store, you're like, okay, like, what do we need? What do we got to do? Right. Because they, they're, it's eternity for them. So I see why they have that mindset of like, they don't care, quote unquote, because they know that it's good. You might not last. And then they're going to move on to the next one. But that also makes them very interesting, right? Because as we all know, one of the stereotypes of how to get the guy or how to get the girl is play hard to get, right? And play hard to get in the sense of, I don't care. So it makes it like a, this cycle of everybody's obsessed with the vampire, but is it really because they're vampires? Is it because they're playing hard to get because they don't really care per se? Um, they're just going through life because they have eternity to do it. Um, but I do like the idea of being able to sort of experience all of life's pleasures because as we all know as real humans we only have a limited time and there's only so much you can do based on your personal situations financial situations and so you only have so much time to do it and in the vampires world they have the world the, the, all the time in the world to do whatever they want but also from that perspective it's like well what do you do once you've experienced all of that right and it is, it's just finding your next, finding what interests you next, which is usually going to be a person. If you've already seen the world, you know, it's the next individual. So all of that fascinates me as it relates to eternity, living eternity, eternally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what's so enticing about it is, um, I think all of us, uh, live with a, a level of worry at all times, whether we're cognizant of it or not. And it's a worry of disease. It's a worry of poverty. It's a worry mm -hmm. of time slipping through your fingers. It's a worry of aging and being hit by a bus and, you know, not being able to like all that worry. So the idea that it could, a lot of that could just be taken away from you. Uh -huh. And all you need to worry about really is not being in the sun and um, you don't have yeah. to worry about time. And I, I just, the idea of that, that weight suddenly be, being lifted off of you, I think, God, would that be wonderful? You know, I'm in a, I'm in, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, I'm in a, a job where I see death every day, death and disease every day, all day. So I know writing Bite Shift was really more of an escape for me um, because there was a pandemic, I couldn't go any, we couldn't do theater. We couldn't do anything. And so theater is my escape from reality. And that was taken away from me. So yep. I didn't know I was going to sit down and write a book when I started, but it was an escape from death and disease and politicians fighting over our dead bodies and how are we going to uh -huh. feed ourselves and will we get food anymore and so I remember the day I typed the end on bite shift I sobbed I sobbed because I was grieving the loss of a world where uh -huh. I didn't have to worry for a couple hours a day and I yeah. think that on such a basic level we're all wishing that that could be real that we just wouldn't have to worry about like Oh my God, that guy just sneezed. Am I going to die? You know, it's, it's, it's. I loved hearing that from you because I feel like as consumers of the art, we have that experience. We get so attached to the characters. So there has been shows that when they've ended, I've, I've had physical yeah. tears because it was an experience and I knew that was an escape. Um, books that have ended that I've loved, yep. I've cried because 
not so much that the story was sad, but the experience was over. So it's validating, it's gratifying to hear you as the creator that you also go through that experience where you were so attached to the process and, and what that writing was doing for you mm-hmm. that you also felt at the end when it was over that same cathartic but in a bad way like the 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 experience was over yeah I did I sobbed I grieved the loss of it and that's how I knew that I was going to write a sequel and that's how I knew that um unbeknownst to me, I had become a writer, which was never, ever, ever on my radar. It was never on my list. I never wanted to. That's what you are. Yeah, I am now. So yeah, it's been wonderful. You didn't have a sequel in mind when you finished Bite Chip because it it sets up really nicely. By the end, I knew that there was more story to tell. So I don't know if I told you this, but I got 16 rejections on my book, 16. Uh um, When I decided I'm just going to self-publish it. Now, not all of those rejections were, I, we don't want anything to do with this book. Um, a few of them were, we'll look at it if you shorten it. And I, I seriously thought about it, you know, even though it felt a little bit like selling out, but I read it again and I, I just didn't know what I could take away from the book that wouldn't take away from the story. And so uh-huh. I made the difficult decision to self-publish to maintain the integrity of the book and the story and the creation of the characters, it's half exposition. So I didn't want to rob any of my characters of the time to get to know them and understand how the relationships form um, because you're not gonna feel upset the end if you're not attached to certain characters. So um, by the time I finished it, I knew there was more story to tell. So by the time I wrapped it up, I had already decided what I wanted to do with the next one. I've also decided there will be a book that tells Mm -hmm. Alex's story leading up to the time we meet him. Um, Soren's story leading up to the time we meet him in, in, in uh, bite shift. And then one other who I don't want to give away yet for people who haven't read the book, but Um, so I actually, you'll see here, this is my copy and all of these are all notes so that I remember what do I want to use in the sequel? What do I want to use in Alex's story? What do I want to use in Soren's story? I even have noted where Alex's story will end and it's going to coincide with a, a, a page in this book. So, um, so by the time I finished bite shift, I, I had accepted, I'm now a writer. This is now a thing. You are. This is now a thing. So I'm at the point. I just want to say two things about that. One, of course, one of the sequels is going to be the love story of Jeremy and Logan because uh-huh. that's mm-hmm. just natural. Um, but then the, the second thing is I commend you for doing the self-publishing because I think a lot of people would have taken what publishers were saying to them as a way of saying, okay, I have to shorten this because it's required in order to get published, right? Mm-hmm. And in order to have somebody out there. So I truly commend you for sticking to what you wrote as the writer and saying, no, I'm not going to change anything. This is what it needs to be in order to really tell the story. Yeah. Cause I don't think a lot of people would have done that. Well, not just that I have faith in my fans. So what I was hearing was 420 pages is too long for a paranormal romance. And I thought, uh, you really cut, you're not giving the fans the respect they deserve. They, they will read a 420 page book if they're into it. Mm-hmm. So to imply that that genre of reader like won't go past 300, like they all have ADD is really not fair to the fan. So 
I will tell you, I've had probably over a hundred emails from people. Not one of them has said, and it was too long. I have never heard that. So it's good. It makes me feel good in my decision. It's harder because now I am the PR. Nobody's doing the marketing for me. That was how one of the reasons this podcast came out was I said to myself, you know what, Lena, I'm not going to stop until someone says vampire nurse and my name pops in their head. That's my brand now. That's it. I'm the vampire nurse of Pittsburgh. So I'm going to keep going until I become synonymous with, yeah. this, with this idea. So that part's hard because it is all on you, but I get to be in charge of the cover. I get to be in charge of the content. I get to be in charge of everything. So it was worth it in the long run. But I thank you for saying that, Logan, because it was a tough decision. Because I thought yeah. I can just sign a contract and then. Yeah, I mean, truly commendable because reading your own story and then trying to decide what can I cut from this is is difficult, right? And I think, you know, take yourself out of out of the writer scenario, I mean, anybody can relate to that when you're doing budgeting, like I run an HR department doing budgeting and somebody comes back and says, you have to cut budget. And I'm like, well, how can I? Because I need all those things, right? So it's all relatable to the fact that if you stick to your guns and you did it in the sense of, okay, well, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take the bait of, oh, I'll publish you 120 pages stick true to the story I think is truly commendable at least from my perspective thank you thanks yeah when you guys read the sequel you'll have to give me feedback on how you want the love story of Jeremy and Logan uh we'll have to collaborate on the backstory <laughs> I think it'll be as long as I win whatever the case whatever win means as long as I win I'm good with that Logan I don't know you very well because I really know Jeremy um but And for those who are listening, so this is the backstory of Jeremy and Lena. Jeremy and Lena do Pittsburgh community theater and and have been in the same circles. And I've seen his shows and all that, but have never Mm -hmm. been together on a stage and never really gotten to really know each other. And this all happened kind of via Facebook. And then I I knew him in periphery. I I may or may not have stalked his Facebook a lot. And so... um, from a perspective of just knowing him in the periphery was like, just that he seems so cool. I wish we were friends. Um, I reached out to him because he is an English teacher. He is a reader. He posts on his Facebook. These are all the books I've read. And I thought I'm going to shoot my shot. Right. So I said, Jeremy, if I sent you a copy of my book, would you read it and talk about it on your Facebook? And he said, yes. So now we're best friends. So it's amazing that our best friend necklaces are coming. It's going to be wonderful. So it was easy to do. Um, and, and I will tell you that other people have asked me to read their books and you haven't heard anything from me then on Facebook about that. So <laughs> I'm true to my word. I was very excited to be able to finish your book. I was at work and I was shaking as I was reading the end. I just wanted to, because I, I got to that hook where you read a book and you can do, you can pace yourself, but once you get hooked too far into it, then you just got to know what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a blowout ending. That was, that was incredible writing at the end. Um, and that's really cool that she's about to get to me. Yeah. So, so this is when at, after Jeremy, after he says he'll read my book, um, he, he says, oh my God, I love vampires. And then that was it. Cause then I was like, oh my God, 
this is this is amazing. So then we could have real dialogue as not just an English teacher, but a vampire fan as well. So now I get to know Logan and uh, Logan is wonderful too. And it's so exciting to get to know you guys. And so I'm very excited for you guys to um, read the, the book. And Logan, I think you're going to be very happy with what I did with your character. I think you will. So uh, I am excited for you to read it. I'm excited for it to all come come together. And um, you guys feel free to give me feedback and we'll work together to make them the best characters possible. But I'm just so lucky to get two new friends out of all of this. And I don't know that it would have happened if I hadn't just sat down and written this book. And so it's just, uh, I wanted to say that if you are out there, you have dreams, you've thought about doing this thing, you're too scared to do it, do it because you can't imagine the doors it opens for you, the opportunities I've gotten to have because of this silly vampire sex novel. And, um, and I couldn't imagine now not doing it. And then to get new friends out of it and people like, I now suddenly have this like squad, right. Of people who are, um, okay with who I am weird or not and okay with the things I like and I don't have to hide myself anymore and I don't have to be a different person I felt for a very long time being raised in the south uh, and then you know being married you're supposed to be a certain kind of wife and a certain kind of woman and a certain kind of professional and a certain kind of mother and so um, I got to hit this point where I was just like I get to just be me, you know, I can, I can still be a mom. I can still be a nurse, but I can still be a vampire podcast host. And so now I have this squad of people like Logan and Jeremy that um, are in my corner and just love me just the way I am. And that's powerful. So I just wanted to thank you guys for that. All that rambling to say that. Thank you for being you and for trusting us and giving us the honor of participating yeah. and being in the book. I, when you told me that, I thought you were kidding. I was so excited. I was just at the end of the book, the first one. And you said that, and I'm so honored. I'm not no. worthy. No, no, you are. I'm not worthy. You are. You are. So that's the thing. I think that we all need to recognize that other people see us the way that we wish we could see ourselves, right? And no. so um, I know, I don't know about you guys, but I have a very hard time accepting compliments. So when you now become a public figure, quote unquote, and you're at a convention and you're meeting fans and you're meeting mm -hmm. people and people are giving you compliments, um, I am working really hard on just being open to that and hearing it and enjoying how other people see me. And so yes. you know, I wish that for everybody. I really do. I'm, it's a shame it took 41 years to get here, but hey, a lot of people never get here. So I'm, I'm very lucky. And it's you, you did it. Like when they say those things to you, you are solely responsible for that. I feel that awkward, that embarrassment whenever I do a show and people say that because I feel like I'm part of a machine. So then I always turn it back on the, the cast. So I turn it back to the director. If someone says something nice to me, I say, well, it was really nice working with mm -hmm. the orchestra. It was really great with this team or this theater. But when you're getting those compliments as a writer, that is all you. So yeah. you should take that in because you are the only person you were solely responsible for the experience that they had reading the book. Like you had the power to create that experience for that person and just you. Yeah. Thank you. Which is pretty cool. Thanks. Well, I think as actors, um, we were used to hearing good reviews, but we're playing different characters, right? So you get to mm -hmm. hide behind that when you're mm -hmm. just you, you're just leaner. You're just Jeremy. That's such mm -hmm. a vulnerable place to be in. And then you Harder. and I, 
and Logan too, like, you know, when you're in public service and your job is to be for other people. So you give to students all day long. I give to patients all day long. I am trained as a servant of the public, just like you. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get recognition for just you, Lena, or just you, Jeremy, uh-huh. you know? um, but it, but I think when you start to just enjoy it and just, and just accept that that is that person's reality, it can turn things around. So, wow, this vampire podcast just got deep. <laughs> Let's go back to talking about Ian Summerholder. Uh, is that, is that, okay. So last question before we wrap it up. Uh, this is hard for me because it's hard to pick one, but favorite vampire. Of all time. Of any genre. Oh my gosh. I loved. So I love, I loved Edward's brother. And I can't think of his name now. The, the big meaty one who was kind. Emmett. 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 Oh, my cousin just named her baby Emmett. No, I have that connection. Emmett. Yeah, Emmett. Uh, Colin, he was great because I thought he provided a grounding for the family. He was a good brother. But if I had to select only one, it would be Damon from Vampire Diaries. Okay. Logan? Or or Soren from Bite Chef. I showed you his picture, right? If if I didn't already tell you guys that, you know, I came to my sexual awakening in the 90s, this picture will tell you everything you need to know. Long hair, uh, nice leather open coat. V, 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 nineties all the way. I love that long hair. Yeah. So I sent her the picture when I read it. It was Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky when he has like longer hair. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the the um, Emmett um, because I felt like Emmett was a good person too. Like he was fam, he was familial about it. You know, protective and also able to adapt to the changing environment. So that was important to me. Um, so that was actually who I was thinking of originally, but you know, I love all vampires. So. I know it's hard to pick. Pam, Pam from Pam. Dude, Pam. <laughs> Pam's a good one. <laughs> Pam's a good one. I'll never forget when you first saw that she was like the madam of a brothel. Yes. Of yeah. course she was. Of course she was. Yeah. We, we watched her in another movie and I didn't even recognize her. We watched the whole movie and then Logan went back. He was like, well, you know, that was Pam. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how disappointing uh-huh. to find out none of those actors were Southern. It's <laughs> like, oh, come on. There was what? Sookie. Sookie. The actress who plays Sookie is from uh, New Zealand. And the pack one. Yeah. She's from New Zealand. And Bill is from. She did a spot in Scream Four, yep. where she also had a Southern accent. Sorry, remember in Scream Four at the very beginning, those girls were like watching a movie, and she stabs her friend. Yep. Oh, sorry, buddy. Yeah, look up interviews with her. She she's a Kiwi. Look yeah. at actors using accents. What's next? No real Southerners at all. What a bummer, huh? Although Arlene, I'll I'll have to look up the actress that plays Arlene Arlene, because if she wasn't Southern, my God, she's like every woman I knew down in Virginia. Yeah, it's it's been a while, but doesn't Arlene turn into like a bad character? No, she was always like very open 
with her uh, opinions of people, but no, she doesn't turn into a bad character. Okay. Always herself. <laughs> Always herself. But yeah. Oh, it was her husband who was the bad guy in season one. Yeah. Right? Was right. Not, wasn't Renee. Renee, yeah, Renee. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, so, gotta go back and watch all these. Yeah, I think I think Eric from True Blood might be my favorite. He might be my favorite. If I had to pick one, he's my favorite. But um, Gary we'll Oldman. Just have to agree. Hmm? We'll agree to disagree on that one then. He's so tall too. Oh. He's tall. Yeah, he's like six four. I'm fascinated by the variable rules in vampire lore in mm-hmm. terms of what they can and cannot do. And I know we talked about this during um, my reading of your book. Correct. Because it depends on, on who you're, you're reading and what world they've created for the vampires. It just seems odd to me that there's not a stricter world that has been established. And, it, and maybe that's great. And yeah. it's left up to each producer to decide uh-huh. What vampires are, you know, able to eat and drink, which ones are able to be in the sun and not, which ones can get drunk and not, mm-hmm. which ones, because I remember I read a passage in your book and I wrote to you and I said, does this have, like, well, I can't remember what it was, but it was something about either like a, a, a character who was drinking and I didn't know they could, it was something like that. And I, and you told me like the rules for the vampire world are established by each creator. We were watching something and what, and the vampire got drunk. Oh, and then I and, wrote to you. And we wrote, yeah, he wrote to you because he was like, is this something that really, because oh, we you're were, right. We every, were watching diaries. Right. So in go. vampire diaries, they use liquor to kind of stave off the hunger. So it, it sort of, um, keeps the hunger at bay. So they're not always under bloodlust. Um, but if you watch other things, like what we do in the shadows, if they try to eat or drink human food, they vomit it right out. So, um, so, uh, so that's what this whole podcast is about. Every episode, I break down a movie, a TV show, or a book. What are the rules? Are they allowed to eat? Can they be in sunlight? Where do they sleep? Right. you know, how do they die? How are they made? Even how they're made is different. So the vampire diaries has a very elaborate way. Yes. Vampires, uh, true blood does as well. And true blood, they have to be buried down in the ground with their maker. I mean, it's very elaborate. There's others like Salem's lot where one bite and you're a vampire. So that would be a problem for us humans, right? Cause they're going to spread pretty fast. Uh, So every writer gets to make up their own rules. Uh, if you watch, you know, this, the, the discovery of witches, vampires can be in the sunlight. And so it like that. So do you like that freedom or do you, I you think, like to play the uh, game with certain roles? Yeah, there I'm very classic with my vampires. I like my vampires mm-hmm. to have two fangs, drink blood, not be in the sunlight. Um, but I do like the, the changing the ways that they're made. Uh, like in my book, I, I made it a, 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 a choice, you know, so they go through that transition. They face, oh, kind of, right. yes, yes. they kind of face the worst things that's ever happened to them. And then they get to make the choice. And um, so you have that time to choose to not turn. So um, I like that as opposed to just one bite, move on one bite, you know, you're a vampire. Mm-hmm. Or, I or, did like that in your book. And that was unique. And one of the things I 
when I was reading, I thought that's really cool because it's interesting in a new way that I hadn't thought that it's now up to you when it's explained to her, when that character explains it to her and says, it's not up to you, which path you go. Right. And you had to think then about the families, the choices, right. The pain. And it was important to me that it come across that Kate made the decision she did for her family. That she knew it would be hard. She knew things were going to be hard, but it's better that then her daughters have to bury her. So she made yeah. a decision, um, but didn't have very much time to make that decision. So we joke about like, oh, we would say yes right away, but would we want time to really think about it? Should it be presented to us? Because it does mean you're oh. going to bury the people you love. And it does mean, you know, never seeing the sun again. And it means always having to lie and hide and be in subterfuge get your hands on blood every day. And so there are some more things involved in that as opposed to like, I'm going to be super sexy forever. How am I going to get my hands on blood and not raise eyebrows? Cause I can tell you as a nurse, it is not easy to get your hands on blood. It's actually very, very hard. And there's a national blood shortage right now. So a lot of shows and movies, you see them like just rob a blood bank. There's actually a national shortage. It's very hard to get your hands on blood right now. So somebody in, is going to notice a bag missing. So, okay. so that idea of like, how would I pull this off um, is what got my wheels turning. And that's how I ended up writing of like, how could you really pull this off? Well, you guys, thank you so much for giving me so much of your evening. I know you guys are probably busy. It's the holidays. Now, when they hear this episode, it'll be after the holidays, but we wanted to get this. Happy wrap. New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Happy 2022. I hope those resolutions are going well. Yeah. So we have our scream date coming. Then we're going to have to go see yes. Morbius. We have a couple other movies we're going to have to see. So Fast we have a lot. For life. Yeah. So we have a lot to get on the books, but thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank this you for having so us. Thank you for being you. Thank, Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for promoting yeah. it, having us. Yes, this was so Thank much fun. You. Yeah, thank you. You guys, stay in touch. Enjoy your holidays. Have a great time. Have a safe time. Back at you. And, um, and I will be in Get touch. ready for our movie date in January. I'm and very I will, excited. I will let you know as soon as this launches, okay? Awesome. All right, guys. All right, have a good night. Bye. Bye. So that was it, vampire lovers. That was my interview with Jeremy and Logan. This is our season two opener. I am so excited for what's to come. Please stay tuned, continue to listen. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Um, tell people all about the podcast. Please rate and review it on iTunes. It helps people to find the podcast. Also, go to my Instagram. Uh, you can see a couple of the things I talked about. So the first thing I want to touch base on is I did look back and the uh, actress who plays Arlene in True Blood is in fact a real Southerner. She's from Georgia. So it's nice to know somebody in the cast was. But go to my Instagram account to see the picture that I showed Logan and Jeremy of the actor who inspired Soren from my book Bite Shift. Um, stay tuned next week where I'm going to do something that was requested by a fan via email. So I'll be back on my usual schedule once a week 
to um, bring you guys some new content. Please reach out to me. Let me know what you want to hear. Let me know if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Uh, other than that, I wish you guys wicked hugs and bloody kisses. Good evening.